Sunday, and it's another wild weekend of college basketball. The big story, I think, is that uh, Kansas, maybe you've heard, secured at least a share of its 12th uh, straight uh, Big 12 championship. That was the result of victory over Texas Tech inside Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. And so, uh, Norlander, I'll start with you. So I, I tweeted this yesterday, wrote about it just a bit, and tried to put it in, in context. And while I think everybody acknowledges it's it's amazing, uh, the, the, there was still pushback, like people trying to qualify it and people trying to uh, discount it a bit uh, by uh, banging on lack of national championships and Final Fours or being dismissive of the Big 12 as a league. And it's just something I sort of noticed in general. Um, basically, anytime I tweeted anything this weekend or anytime somebody says something is great, there seems to be a chorus of folks who try to say it's not like I noticed it Saturday night with Golden State Warriors we're getting a little bit of that now right Oscar Robinson saying ah, I don't know how good they are and uh, this other person talking about well I don't know if they're really all-time great or how good Steph would be in a different era what well, is that is that just sort of the world we live in now where people are constantly trying to be uh, dismissive of of greatness it reminds me a little bit of of what Jesus tweeted uh, a few weeks ago just shut the f up and enjoy the greatness right <laughs> shut the f up and enjoy the greatness it seems like we uh, as sports fans, have a hard time just enjoying greatness because what the Golden State Warriors are doing is great. Uh, what Steph's doing is great. And to swing it back to college basketball, 12 straight Big 12 titles is unbelievably great. And yet, for some reason, some people reject it on its surface. Do you understand why, or am I overstating it? I mean, the people that have an issue with Bill Self and want to bring that up, I mean, these are the kind of people that are the worst at parties if they even get invited to parties. Because <laughs> honestly, like... To have that kind of take is just, it's brutal, especially you laid it out in terms of all-time Hall of Fame coaches active uh, and, and previous ones, Calhoun, Krzyzewski, uh, Beheim, what these, you know, what these guys have been able to do in terms of stringing together consecutive years of regular season championships, and no one even comes close. I don't have the tweet in front of me. Does even one of them have six? No. I think, right? K has five. Of the current uh, Hall of Famers, the guys who are active and already in the Naismith Hall of Fame. Uh, Calipari has five. Uh, Shashevsky has five. This means, by the way, for people who didn't see the tweet, most t- consecutive league titles. Like in, in all the years that Mike's been at Duke, he's never won more than five in a row. Now, five in a row is amazing, right? And 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 uh, yes, that's the point. It's, it's again, incredible. This is, but this is twelve in a row. It's twelve in a row. And um, like uh, now, I will say, Bob Huggins won seven in a row. I think they were Conference USA or Great Midwest or whatever, but when he was the mm-hmm. same, he won seven in a row. Um, Mark Few has won a bunch in a row. It's like 13 of 14 or something. Right, yeah. he won 11. But like but yeah. um, in a power five, like you see the records UCLA with 13 straight, and that was actually done by, th- by three different coaches. I don't know if people assume it was all done by Wooden, but it was not. It was done by three different dudes. Um, Wooden, of course, started it, but then it, it carried on after his his retirement. But like Kansas got a shot next year to tie – uh, UCLA's and this and this is a much more competitive and balanced 
uh, era of college basketball. Like, I just don't even get it. Like, I, I thought when I put it in context and I said, hey, this is the best Cal's ever done. This is the best Patino's ever done. This is the best Bayheim's ever done. This is the best Krzyzewski's ever done. This is the best Roy's ever done. Now, look at Bill Self. I thought people would go, whoa. And there was a lot of that. Whoa. But there was also some... Says, it says all you need to know about the Big 12. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, how about this? So, I, of course, I get obsessed with this topic and I start diving at it from every angle. Okay, so in the 12 years that, that Bills won the Big 12, without exception, uh, people, if you want to be dismissive of the Big 12 and say, well, that says more about the Big 12 than it says about, you know, Kansas, couldn't possibly do that in the ACC. Okay, first off, that's stupid. We'll get back to that in a moment. But think about this. In these 12 years, uh, three guys have made the NCAA tournament every year without exception. Only three in college basketball. Mark Few, Tom Izzo, and Mike Krzyzewski. That's it. Yeah. So, so, so my point being, it is much easier to make the NCAA tournament from any league than it is to win the Big 12. And yet he's won the Big 12 12 straight times. And almost no, like, there's only three other dudes in the entire country who have made the NCAA tournament in each of those years. So, like, what are we even talking about? Like, it's just, <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy to me. And then people, and then people say, oh, well, like, the Big 12 sucks, the Big 12 stinks. The Big 12 in seven of these 12 years has been top two in Kempom. In eight of the 12, it's been top three, and it's been number one in each of the past two seasons. What, and, are, what are we talking about? And this year is the most impressive because... No, no first round picks in the starting lineup so far as we can as we can uh, surmise at this point. And even if you know something ridiculous were to happen and that and that did happen, this is clearly his least talented uh, starting five he's ever had. And the Big Twelve has never been better than it's yeah. been this year. So for him to set this you know this latest mark, this latest record with the team that he's done, kind of puts an emphasis on it. And oh by the way, Kansas is now firmly entrenched as the number one overall seed. Sure. It's probably going to be that on Selection Sunday. No question. Sam, can you make sense of this? Like, Why are people trying to discount this? Why can't people just shut the – take Jesus' advice, just shut the F up, and enjoy the greatness? You're talking about people on the Internet right. who don't enjoy anything. Like, of all people to ask about this, you're the one who tells me, <laughs> no, don't get, don't get in fights with people on the Internet. It's not worth it. Like – what are you doing? You're not taking your advice right now. Well, I wasn't, Come on, I wasn't five. I've only gotten to a fight one time on the internet this week. And I believe, um, maybe two, but on one, I just get so irritated. I don't mind questions and I don't even mind disagreements. I yep. just, I just mind dumb questions. The dumb ones drive me crazy. Like I don't mind disagreements. I, but I, I can't deal with, or I struggle to deal with just nonsensical comments. Like when people like, can I tell you another one I've had? Okay, just let me just say yes, even if you don't want to hear it. So yes, okay. Gary, so every day, so every day when I rank these stupid basketball teams, um, <laughs> uh, you get the same comments over and over again. And listen, I don't sure. mind disagreements. Fine, like listen, the rankings are subjective by nature. It's like you can argue in a variety of ways. We don't even all agree on how we ought to be ranking the team. Some people think it should be a snapshot of now. Some people think it should be entire body of work. So like whatever, but. I get constantly get people who just focus on one very limited aspect of something and try to like, I, I got this one, Indiana beat Purdue. How could you still have Purdue ranked ahead of Indiana? Well, there's an intelligent way to argue in favor of Indiana over Purdue, but simply because Indiana lost at Purdue earlier this week, ain't it. 
Stop it with that one. The other one, this dude named Seth on Twitter, right? It's not Seth Davis, by the way. It's a different Seth. Shout out to Seth Davis. GP going after your boy right now? No, no, no. It wasn't Seth Davis. I know. I'm just, no, I'm Seth, just playing foil to Seth, you right now. Seth Davis is You're my so boy. rattled. I'm rattled. So, okay. So he tweets me, and he's, he's uh, frustrated and offended by where I have Miami ranked, okay? So, uh, and, and this is his rationale. But because I have Miami behind, I don't know, 11 other teams. I got Miami 12th. He says, Miami has a better record than some of the teams in front of them a better ACC record than some of the teams in front of them, first place in the ACC, and they have an RPI of seven. How could you have them 12? Again, there's an intelligent way to argue for Miami. Like, they've won seven of their past eight games. The only loss in that stretch was at North Carolina. They got wins over Virginia, Utah, Duke, Louisville, Notre Dame. They only have one home loss all season. Their worst loss of the season was a fluky loss to Northeastern uh, that was literally more than three months ago, right? But, like, you can't simply cite a record. That doesn't mean anything. Like Miami has a better record. Miami should be ranked. And I know I'm not talking to you guys here. I'm just anybody who's thinking about tweeting at me, just understand this. Miami has a better record than another team. Therefore, Miami should be ranked ahead of that team. Like uh, Valpo's got a better record than Miami. So does St. Joe's. So does Arkansas Little Rock. Do we think that Miami should be ranked behind them simply because of the record? Like, what are we talking? Stop it. Stop being dumb on the internet. I guess that's my point. Hashtag stop being dumb on the internet you might have gotten in more fights on the internet this weekend than i did oh god i've been like it's just cr- like there's a lot of good ways to argue for miami but like the ways people try to argue for miami are, are like rooted in nonsense um I, and beyond that i would say this though i like miami and uh, you know i haven't ranked 12th in the country of course i like them they are the only team in the top 25 right now that has three losses outside of the top 100 of the rpi so that's the other thing that drives me crazy. Every time a fan's arguing on behalf of his team, they say, we beat this team, this team, and this team. Well, the losses count too. Can we talk about the losses? Yeah. Like, why, why do you know? Ne- Am I the only person in the world that looks at the loss column anywhere? Miami, as great as Miami's been this year, they have three sub-100 losses. Literally, nobody else in the top 25 has three sub-100 losses. All right, I'm through. Let's talk about Indiana. Call the end of the podcast? Yeah, let's Done just. Done with the podcast? You know, I'm at least through with that. I don't yeah, I'm let's done. hit on well, – hold on real quick. Let's hit on Indiana. It's been a good weekend for me, Norlander. You want to know why? Because all the things that I, that, I, that I beat the drum for, like they basically came out favorably this weekend. Bill Self won another Big 12 title. You know how that makes me feel. Tom Cream won a share of the Big 10 title. You know how that makes me feel. That's two Big 10 titles for Tom Cream in the past four years. In the previous 15 years, pre-Cream, in the pre-Cream era, 15 years. Pre-cream. Yeah, in 15 years pre-Cream. Indiana won only one Big Ten title. He's won two of the past four. Well, guess what? Here's what I'm hoping for. Hmm. I'm hoping, see, Indiana closes its schedule out uh, a week from when we're recording this podcast on Sunday, March 6th. There is, a, there is a possibility that we could get a repeat performance, and Maryland could win that game. Indiana could be the Big Ten champs. Oh, and no. It could cut, <laughs> and it could cut those nets down after a loss do you for think, a second time. Do you think they would do it again? I hope they do it again. I hope, God, they, do it I hope they do it again. <laughs> That's basically the best possible outcome. Uh, because for people who don't, happened, for people who don't, re- yeah, for people who don't remember, Norlander, tell the story. Indiana lost a game, was the Big Ten champs, and Tom Crean brought out a ladder and said, <laughs> "How you like me now? I'm cutting down these nets." That's basasically what happened, and it was incredible. No, that's and not basically it, what happened. That is exactly what happened. So, and listen, it would be incredible if it happened again. Maryland is a team in definite need of some good wins here because that is a team that is just slipping away. I mean, listen, still a 
good record, generally speaking, lost three of its past four. Um, and Iowa, which also lost. See, Maryland's, you know, getting tripped up in Iowa, doing what Iowa has done a lot under McCaffrey, and that's just fading in February. I can't have too much uh, confidence overall in the Hawkeyes right now. Ohio State has played itself into the at-large conversation, which is incredible. But because of those two things, Indiana, as we kind of hit on, um, I think it was the last podcast, if not, it was a week ago, where now it's going to have these expectations on it. And, you know, Kareem doesn't get to the second weekend. I think there's just going to be – he'll he's still going to be there, but I just think, think, you know, we could have a meltdown situation with Indiana fans. So that will be fun to track oh, yeah, as well. Yeah. I mean, we're always, uh, we're always a loss away from a meltdown situation. And if he were to lose in the round of 32, oh, I mean, he would, <laughs> we would just go bananas, right? I mean, and I get it, I guess. But I, I've always said this, and I know I'm in the minority here. And Sam, actually tell me, am I being wrong here? Because I'll listen to this. Um, I tend to judge coaches based off of how they – run a program and handle a team over a four-month season as opposed to how they perform in a single elimination three-week tournament. And so I don't get caught. So like when people want to, you know, point out Bayheim's lack of NCAA, consistent NCAA tournament success, or even that Sean Miller hasn't been to a Final Four yet, or, uh, you know, I guess Bill Self gets a little bit of this too. Um, I just always sort of go, I don't know, man. That was a good seat. Like that team had a really good season and then they, you know, and then they got caught like last year. I thought Iowa state had a really good season and then they, they, you know, and then they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost in a single elimination tournament. But so I don't get bothered so much. Like when Indiana wins the big 10, but then loses in the round of 32, but, but God, everybody else, it's all like, this is the, I don't know if this is the one sport. Maybe this, maybe this isn't unique to college basketball at all, but this is a sport where you are better off being mediocre for four months and being great at the very end than you are being medi- uh, than you are being great for four months and then having one bad game in a single elimination tournament. And that's always struck me as odd, especially in, in, as it relates to how you judge whether a man is doing a good job as a basketball coach or not. Yeah, I think that's the right uh, take there. I mean, Screen's made two Sweet 16s in the last four years before this one. Uh, he's now won two of the last four Big Ten titles. Uh, I, I just don't really see a reason to be upset with what he's done at Indiana thus far beyond, you know, outsized expectations for a program that probably shouldn't have them anymore, given that, you uh, know, that, that people don't wanna, do not want to hear that. But yeah. I know they don't want to hear it. It's the same thing with UCLA people out here. There's a petition right now to fire Steve Alford <laughs> after he went to two straight Sweet 16s. Like, that's a guy that is in the opposite scenario where uh, I think that fans will basically just find whatever fits their narrative best, right? So Steve Alford has had two, or has had at least last year, an underwhelming regular season and then a great run that you would think would kind of like stem the tide a little bit. But no, 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 it has not stemmed the tide at all. And for some reason, people want to see Steve Alford fired whenever he has not only a like top five recruiting class coming in, but he's made two of the last three sweet 16s. Like it's crazy. And it's the same boat with Tom Crean. It's just kind of the opposite side of the ledger. Crean over the last two years uh, hasn't necessarily had the most success. Hasn't made a great run in the NCAA tournament, but he has had the postseason success. So I don't, or uh, has had the regular season success. So people are going to find whatever best fits what they want to say at this point. And it, it, it's all a matter of, you know, personal 
whatever you want to, you know, judge someone on. And, and we, I think it's a pretty unfair thing to judge both of these guys, actually, uh, given what their records have been at their universities. It does strike me um, that, that maybe we've just reached a point, and, and perhaps we're all like, I don't know, uh, prisoners of social media. Like, we're just, we used to not hear all the, you know, all of these opinions. Like, once upon a time, Sam, you're too young to remember this, but like, there was really only a handful of places you could hear people, you know, express public opinions about coaches or players or anything, right? It would be like a, the local columnist in the newspaper and, and uh, to the extent that there were national columnists and, and, and maybe like on AM talk radio, but like you had no way to know really what some dude you went to high school with thinks of the current situation at, your alma mater. Like it just, you just weren't, there was no way for people to express those opinions loudly and publicly. And now there's message boards and FM, AM and AM radio stations and Twitter and Facebook. And so maybe we just hear, maybe it's always been there, but we just, now we've reached a point with technology where we hear it all the time. I don't know, but it does seem like people are just never satisfied. Like I, I like, I, I wonder, like, it seems to me being a reasonable fan would start with looking at something objectively and going, you know what? It's not great, but it's pretty good. You know, this is pretty. This is pretty okay. Like, what's you know? I would like. I would like more. I guess, but I understand. Like, this is a. Pre, this guy is doing a perfectly reasonable job, and yet you look around the country and like, uh, unless you're in the top ten, and sometimes even then, like people are always questioning like mm -hmm. everything. Like in every nothing's good enough. Like at UCLA, undeniably, like nothing's good enough. At Indiana, I. Like, I, I guess it's good enough right at this minute, but let, let Tom lose at Iowa on Tuesday and we'll be right back to, oh, but he backdoored into a Big Ten title, so that doesn't really count. I mean, people just be trying to discount that one. It's just sort of a weird existence. Yeah, with UCLA, it's, oh, but they don't play basketball pretty enough now. Oh like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar comes out and says, like, they don't they don't teach the fundamentals enough un anymore. Under John Wooden, we were great with the fundamentals and we did everything. And I'm just like... Yeah, you had the best college basketball coach of all time. That's an impossible standard. And like, you stayed in school if, four years or three yeah, years, or, you know, whatever. If, if that's what if that's the standard you're holding a basketball coach to, you are setting him up for failure every single time that he is that you hire a basketball coach. And it's a totally unfair standard, not only to hold the coach to, but it's an unfair standard to hold Dan Guerrero and that athletic department to. And I'm sure it's the same thing at Indiana, where it, you know. Indiana lives off of what Bob Knight did there. Again, one of like the three best basketball coaches ever. Right. And it's just an unfair standard that people kind of need to readjust what, you know, what these programs are capable of realistically. You know what? I've, and I've, I've sort of gotten tired of uh, old people talking about like, Oh, it's the worst. Like it's what the worst? Like Oscar Kareem. First off, Norlander, correct me if I'm wrong. It defies logic to think that basketball players today aren't better than basketball players 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. First off, they're all bigger, stronger, faster, quicker. They're, they're more skilled. They take better care of their bodies. They train differently and better than they ever have. Um, the game's bigger. Once upon a time, you just had to play against other white dudes. Uh, then it was white dudes and black dudes, but all Americans. And now it's the entire world. Like, how? What? Doesn't it defy logic completely to think that, like, I'd love to see some point NBA point guard from the 1970s try to guard Russell Westbrook. Like, like, it's just like, 
I don't understand like how people can even say that. You know, it, but it, I, you hear it all the time now. Well, you know, Steph in a different era wouldn't have been. You know what Steph in a different era would have been? The baddest dude on a basketball court. That's what he would have been. Why, why is it so hard for older people to accept? And I'm older myself, but I, I can at least understand that. Am I missing something? Is am I wrong? Would Russell Westbrook like be non-existent if he played in 1974? If Russell Westbrook played in the NBA in 1974, he'd be the best player on the court. I mean, let's it's it's not even it's not even really that much of a debate considering how much of a freak. Like he's really one of the five or six greatest athletes ever in NBA history. When you really look at what West, Russell Westbrook, what he's able to do, he's got one of the best first steps ever. He's just insane. But why don't you just come out and say? that Jeff Goodman's an idiot and he started talking about this stuff in our group text message and you just want to call him out for it because all of a sudden he's he's starting talking about no. how the 86 Celtics would wreck the Warriors. How about that? Well, um, first off, in the group text, I, I had been drinking. Okay. <laughs> so I, was, I, I, was, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, wow, we were getting into it a little bit. The group Shout out to like, Calvin Nat, right? <laughs> okay, so here's my point. So, yeah, we, we had a group text going last night. It was me, Norlander, Goodman, some other clowns. And, uh, and we were all just like, I mean, and by, you know, again, we're, we're recording this on Sunday night. So, like, Saturday night was the Golden State-Oklahoma City game, which was just amazing, right? I, I mean, guess. just an unbelievable basketball game. Like, as good as it gets. And um, and Steph was amazing, and the Warriors were amazing, and whatever. And so, um, <laughs> I guess it was Goodman at some point said, yeah, but, you know, the these Warriors couldn't play with the, the you know, the, the Celtics from the 80s. Different eras, and that era was better. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like, I, I, I honestly think these Warriors would kick the hell out of the Celtics from the 80s. I, if only because I, I think the teams today are probably better just because they're, for the most part, you know, just more skilled and whatever. I don't even have to. But here's the point. I, I guess we can reasonably disagree on whether these Warriors would beat those Celtics. But one of the points he tried to make to back this was Isaiah Thomas was a all-star this year. The current year. Isaiah the Thomas current, of the, the Boston Celtics. Yeah, the current Isaiah Thomas of the Boston Celtics. He said Isaiah Thomas was an all-star in the year 2016. Do you think somebody like Isaiah Thomas could have been an all-star back in the 80s? Get out of here. And so I uh, immediately just Googled randomly 1985 all-star game. Because I knew there'd be somebody on there who, like, you wouldn't. So I found a dude named Calvin Nett. You ever heard of Calvin <laughs> Nett? Calvin, no idea who Calvin Nat is. Never heard the, of The crazy thing was I literally did not know GP, we Googled the same All-Star game at the same time. So you sent the text message <laughs> right. with Calvin Nat, and then I just sent it like six seconds after you. Shout out to Norm Nixon. <laughs> right. And uh, Michael Ray Richardson, I think, was another one. Yeah. Yeah. So like the idea that uh, oh I, the all you need to know about how down professional basketball is today is that Isaiah Thomas was an all dude, Calvin Nat was an all-star in the mid-80s. Don't talk to me about Isaiah Thomas. And you know what? Blindly, I bet Isaiah Thomas would mess up Calvin Nett. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you put Isaiah Thomas on the court with Calvin Nett and let him and clear out for him. I bet you Calvin Nett would have his hands full. But my point is, um, it wasn't just Magic and Larry and Charles and, and the other Isaiah Thomas who were the All-Stars in the 80s. There was also Calvin Nett. Just like right now, there's also Isaiah Thomas. So like, if I, I gave you, if I gave you 300 guesses, I don't think you could guess where Calvin Nat went to college. No, I knew earlier. I because I did. Oh, okay, man. I had no idea. So Louisiana Monroe, which at the time wasn't even named Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> Shout out to Calvin Nat. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey. So like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how we got on this conversation, but it's just been driving me crazy. Like people, are, sh shut the f up and enjoy the greatness. Might be the might be the wisest thing Jesus has ever said, and he's full of wise things.
He's a genius. In case you didn't know. He's he's very wise. If you want to talk some greatness, we can talk Brogdon in Virginia because that's probably. Oh, well, you know what? First, I want to go back to Maryland real quick. Okay. S- Sam, what's wrong with Maryland besides Melo Trimble? He's 14 to 16 his past six games. That's 23% according to my calculator. Is there something larger wrong? Uh, is there something uh, larger than that? Or is it simply, hey, the Maryland was a mediocre basketball team until Melo Trimble enrolled. Then he enrolled last year. They were really good. And he was really good early and they were really good. And now he's, he's not playing very well. And so Maryland's not playing very well. Is it that or is there more? Uh, before this, I just want to start out by saying that seven foot two James Donaldson uh, from Heacham, England, made the All Star game in 1988. See what I'm saying? I, I don't know who this is. No, like, no I, idea who that is. I, I You're making even, up a human being right now. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, I am not joking. You could have told me this person is made up, and I believe it. This guy is not made up. Well, that's I'm my telling point. you that right now. Um, number two, Mello Trimble. I think he's just going through a slump. Yeah, I. Uh, it's. It's fine. Uh, I think that he'll probably turn it around. He's too good of a player, too smart in pick and rolls. He's too good of a shooter. Once he gets that part of his game back, you would expect that he'll be fine. Uh, But Maryland does need him. I think that that's pretty clear because if you look at the way that their splits kind of roll, they're okay defensively. Like they're a top 20 team defensively because, I mean, they just kind of have a lot of athletes. I mean, even Diamond Stone, who's not a great athlete, is an okay rim protector in college. Uh, he blocked four shots over the weekend. Uh, even Rashid Suleiman, Jake Lehman, Robert Carter, those are all guys who care defensively. You really saw what Jake Lehman could do uh, in a press, for instance, against Purdue at the end of that game when they almost came back. Uh, but on offense, they really do run through Mellow Trimble because Carter can't really create a whole lot for himself. Lehman can't really create a whole lot for himself when he doesn't have an athletic mismatch, which he doesn't have at the three, he would have it at the four, but you have Carter at the four already. Uh, Rashid Suleiman can create for himself, but he just has only been okay uh, at certain points this year. But the guy that they need in Diamondstone is, I- I'm not a big fan of what he's done. I know he's been productive, but uh, he doesn't really create anything for himself. He's just very good at making himself available for dump offs. Uh, making himself available in, you know, pick and roll situations with Trimble. So they really need Trimble is the point here. I think that's what's wrong with them. If they can get Mellow Trimble back to being Mellow Trimble, they're going to be okay. Like they are probably going to be a Sweet 16 Elite 18. And I think that that'll be fine. But without him, they're in pretty big danger of like being upset early, I would say. I mean, this is a team that struggled against Georgetown early in the year. They struggled against Connecticut and the Kevin Ollie throwing papers on the ground game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this is a team that really hasn't necessarily shown us throughout a course of a sample of like five games, like against elite competition that they can, you know, put it together. And I, I think that if Mello Trimble doesn't bring it together by the end of the year, they're probably going to be in some trouble. You know what? There was a team recently, and I can't for the life of me think of who it was. Maybe one of you remember, but it was similar to Maryland in this sense that they enrolled a highly regarded guy, whether it was a transfer or a, a freshman who like was so good. He had to play, but he, but playing him meant you had to move, people out of positions that they had been successful in like 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 layman played the four last year now he's playing the three and he's probably like a three at the nba level and all that stuff but like he was really good at the four and and but like if you're gonna play diamond stone you gotta move him blah 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 blah. um 
there was a team a few years ago. Maybe I can't remember. I remember. I'm searching. I just can't figure it out. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I was been trying to think of it the whole time Sam was talking. Um, but like, yeah, it was the same type of deal where you enroll this guy, you gotta play him, but it's gonna move somebody out of the position they flourished at the season before. Well, you're seeing it at North Carolina right now. You're exactly right. With right. Marcus Page, right. I mean, Page is much better as a point guard than he, than he is off the ball. He defends point guards better than he defends two guards. He is a lot better creating offense than he is. It's just, it's just like spotting up on offense. Uh, and you're seeing it with uh, North Carolina. And I know that Matt brought up Malcolm Brogdon, but you know, Page is known as like a solid defender of point guards, but Brogdon took it to him just because he's bigger. He's stronger. I mean, he's, you know, Page isn't necessarily great at like fighting through off ball screens and really getting around those guys and, you know, staying right on the other guy's hip. It's just a, it's, it's a hard situation for the Tar Heels to be in. And I think you're seeing a lot of that with Maryland where, you know, Rashid Suleiman's a guy who likes to have the ball in his hands a little bit. And that takes away from what Melo Trimble does. Uh, Jake Lehman and Robert Carter really overlap a lot offensively with what they do. Um, Diamond Stone, uh, his presence in the lane, just taking up space on offense probably doesn't necessarily help whenever you're posting him. So there are a lot of, you know, fit problems with the pieces that Maryland brought in. I figured that, you know, they're just so talented, they'll figure it out. But it's, you know, now going to March and they haven't yet. And that's where was the, was the team you're thinking maybe Louisville with Chris Jones. That was kind of, no, no. I don't know. But like this one is once you once you get Robert Carter and Diamond Stone eligible, if you're going to play them together, Layman's got to go to the three. Right. That's what happened here. And, um, you know, I think on a recent podcast, maybe Sam said, you know, the pieces just don't fit perfectly. And, and, and that might be the case. But it was one of those things like you sort of go, OK, like, what am I supposed to do? Not not play Diamond Stone or Robert Carter. Like, what are we talking right. about? So, like, you just move Jake over and, and, and you try to make it work. And, you know, maybe it will work. They have won a lot of games. It's not like they're, they're going to miss the NCAA tournament or something. But God, I'll think of it like. You know, it's like when I wake up at like 2.45 in the morning, it'll just pop into my head. But it was a team where, same type of deal. They'd won a lot of games the year before. They were playing guys in very specific roles. Those guys returned, but then they enrolled somebody new, and it was like, okay, to play this person, we've got to move this person here, and we've got to, you know, it might have been, a, I don't know. But it was like, it was very similar in the sense that uh, you'd start going, hey, why is the team doing what it is we thought it would do on paper? And it was like, well, you know, when you start playing this guy, you got to move this guy over, and it's just not working the way it used to work. I can't remember who it was, but but it seems go. yeah, but it but it seems to be the case uh, at, at Maryland uh, just a little bit. Um, I, so I watched uh, Duke and Pitt, and shout out to Pitt for finally getting a, a signature win. I know they'd beaten Notre Dame earlier, but uh, they were zero six against the top twenty five of the RPI when they woke up on Sunday morning. Uh, they got Duke uh, really like led to nothing and basically dominated them from start to finish. Duke never made a, uh, a serious run, but Brandon Ingram did have a couple of moments and it just sort of popped in my head. Are we sure he can't be the number one pick in the draft? <laughs> or, like, or, because here's the deal. When I watch Ben Simmons, he's obviously great, but um, I see a ceiling on what he can be. You know, like I can, I can sort of, I, you know, it, with my imagination, I get to a point, and I go, yeah, that's about as good as it'll probably get for Ben Simmons. I'm not telling you I'm, I'm right. I'm just saying I can, I don't see a ceiling with Brandon Ingram. Like, if you told me Brandon Ingram was going to be one of the top 10 players in the NBA, uh, you know, in five years, I could go, okay, yeah, that seems like, does Brandon Ingram have a higher ceiling than Ben Simmons? 
Um, I, I don't think he does personally. I don't think he's as athletic as Simmons is. Uh, I think that that's the that's the thing that you kind of need to see with Ingram. Like he's he's a good athlete. He's really long, and I think that that makes him look a little bit more athletic than he is because his arms just take up so much space, and he kind of you know just naturally makes plays like that. Um, in the NBA, it's going to be a little bit different than that. But again, he's six foot nine, six foot ten, one hundred and ninety pounds. He's probably going to put on twenty five more pounds of muscle, and you might be able to unlock a little bit more athleticism with that. Like it's not out of the question that he could become a little bit more explosive with more muscle mass. Um, it's, it's tough for me. I have been saying all along, we had this conversation on the last podcast. Um, it's definitely not a done deal. Ben Simmons is not your guarantee. Number one overall pick. Brandon Ingram is very much in the mix. There are scouts that like Brandon Ingram better. I think that Simmons still has a little bit higher of a ceiling because, you know, he's just so strong. He's so athletic. He's so fluid with the ball. He's, he has such a high basketball IQ. Uh, if you can get him to shoot, like if you can get him up to like Draymond Green levels with the jump shot and Draymond was, you know, still isn't an elite shooter by any means, but he was never really a good shooter until his senior year of college. Um, if you can get him up to that level, I think that you're talking about a super Draymond Green and their conversations right now about whether or not Draymond Green is the best power forward in the NBA. So uh, that's kind of where you're at with Simmons. And to me, that's a little bit more valuable than what I see Ingram being. But again, that that's assuming that Simmons can get the shot and can start playing defense at a higher level. And that's, you know, to be seen. I, I guess, yeah. Listen, if you... There are well, arguments for both, right. I would if say, you, is my point. Yeah. Uh, let me be clear. If we held the draft tonight and I was in charge of the team picking first, I, I, I think I'd take Ben Simmons. Um, but I think the casual basketball fan probably just assumes because of the way everything's been promoted and discussed and, and written about that it's like Ben Simmons and then the draft will get started. And I'm just... By the time we get to, I don't know, the combine, I won't be shocked if there's a real conversation about who should be the number one pick in the draft. Because this stuff often changes. I, I don't know if it often changes. I just remember there was once upon a time, it was very clear, or at least it seemed very clear, according to the mock drafts and stuff, that like Michael Beasley was going to be the number one pick in the draft. And then and then it was Derrick Rose. Now, some of that was because Chicago won the lottery and there's no way Chicago passed it on Derrick. But um, I, think it, I think we got to the point where most people would have taken Derrick Rose over Michael Beasley. And sure. But I, I think probably on February 28th, uh, 2008, if you looked at all the mock drafts, they probably had Beasley going one. And so I, I just... Before 28th last year, they probably had Jaleel Okafor going number one. Right. Now, it's, there are times when it's just not going to change. You know, the Anthony Davis draft, the LeBron draft. Um, sure. You know, but like, I won't be surprised if this one... I don't know. If, if we look up and they're debating it on pardoning the interruption or first take or whatever, like, I won't be surprised if people will start, particularly if Duke gets on a run and Ingram's great on that big stage... Um, I don't know. I just uh, watching Ingram. I was like, are we sure? And we might be sure, but I, I, I think it's at least a conversation. Nordlander, do you have a preference? Uh, if I had to pick, I'd pick Simmons at the pro level. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? You like, you like Ingram better at the college level? No, I like, I like, I like them both. I, I got, I got no issues with either. <laughs> well, that's yeah. nice. Well, that's nice of you. <laughs> that's sweet. I, 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 we'll, we'll pass that message along to both of them. Let them know okay, that, that Matt Norlander has no issue with Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram. All right, before we get out of here, Tuesday night, 
Um, we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, Indiana's got a chance to win an outright Big Ten title, but they got to win at Iowa or at home against Maryland. Do you think they'll go ahead and wrap it up at Iowa? Sam, you first. I will say no. Boo. I think Iowa's going to come out with some urgency and really try and get it going and uh, try and get that get it back on the right side of the ledger because they've lost four of five now after the loss to Ohio State on Sunday. Can't stop losing. Can't stop losing. And, uh, you know, Fran McCaffrey's teams do tend to kind of trail off a little bit at the end of the year. I don't know if that's, you know, a fair and unfair statement about what Fran's done there, but it's a fact of the matter to me. Um, I think that they're going to get this one together. I think this team's a little bit better than the ones he's had in the past. And I think that you're going to see them beat Indiana, but I do think Indiana beats Maryland over the weekend. I think that's probably right. I think, okay. I think Iowa gets some, I think the home teams win. So Indiana's got two games left, one at Iowa, the other one home at Maryland. I think the home teams win both games. And they'll still would, be, they'll be outright Big Ten champions. They just won't end uh, with two wins. I, I would agree with that. Um, but why you got to leap over leap day? Because there's a few interesting things happening on Monday, you know. What? Like what, Norlander? Like the fact that Texas has a 19-10 and 10 team that's probably going to beat Kansas on Monday night and will be in what? a good position. For like, it's got a home game. Listen, Texas had a huge win over Oklahoma. We hadn't touched on that. They won definitively. And made the player of the year race even more interesting. That thing ain't over. Like we might the, the I, it, listen. I told you this you three weeks ago. I you say, I think you like told both me. Of us said, yeah, you told me to take a walk. I said okay. I I'll meet you back around after that walk. Well, guess what, GP? <laughs> I'm back from my walk and no, look at right. this. You're right. Okay, you so, were right. I was wrong. I admit I was wrong. Buddy, yeah, buddy. I mean, buddy had a good game. Don't get me wrong, but uh, the team lost, and Michigan State keeps winning. And Denzel Valentine, I mean, uh, listen, he is. This is mind blowing to me. But and it's per ESPN's research. But I guess over the past three decades, there's not been a college basketball player uh, that has averaged better than 19 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists within a season. And Denzel Valentine is doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's over just how long? over the past three decades, it hasn't yeah. happened. I'm going to bring it up right now. I'm going to bring it up right. That almost, Michigan... that, that almost takes us back to the Calvin Nett era. That you know what that was the Calvin Nett era. <laughs> right. uh, that was actually that was at the tail end. Are you sure Calvin the... Nett didn't do it? Should I look it up? <laughs> you know what? I, I, if records exist of the famed Nat era, you might have to you might have to give that a, a quick check there. Uh, I'm bringing it up right now because I had I got the, uh, <laughs> the stats today. <laughs> I can't believe I'm looking up Calvin Nat. All right, <laughs> since the NCAA, since the NCAA first recognized the assist as an official stat in eighty three eighty four, Valentine is the first player in the nation to average nineteen seven and seven uh, in that time period, and so that's yeah. crazy to me because I mean it's it's an awesome and amazing line. But it's mind-boggling that no player has done that, you know. Not even but Valentine's doing it right now, so he certainly uh, he certainly is, you know, very much right there with with Buddy. But I was mentioning Texas; it has a home game against Kansas, which is locked up at least a share of the Big 12 regular season title. I'm not saying it won't be motivated, but I do think Texas will win. Uh, North Carolina gets a bounce-back game against Syracuse; they'll probably lose. Syracuse has got to get a couple more wins here if it wants to be in the tournament, in my opinion. Iowa State wants to get right at home on Monday night. So those are the Monday ones I just wanted to touch on. Is there anything on Tuesday that you would like to discuss, GP? Florida needing the win at home against Kentucky? Yeah. Can they get that? Well, it's they at the it. O-Dome. It is at the O-Dome. It's tough down there. Vandy won there, but not anybody can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, Vandy got – I don't – I'm not convinced Vandy's going to the tournament, by the way. It will get there if it doesn't – 
lose bad games, but everyone's like putting them in the tournament and I'm not there. Well, you got to put 68 teams in the tournament. I know that. You're you're aware of that, right? How about this? Vandy has, check this out. Vandy has, I'm just full of statistics. Vandy has four top 50 RPI wins and four, well, I heard that, four (laughs) losses outside of the top 40, all right? Kentucky has four top 50 RPI wins and six losses outside of the top 50. That's actually fairly ridiculous. Like Kentucky has six losses outside of the top 50. Yeah, I know. No, it's no other team, I, whatever, whatever it was I tweeted, no other team in the top 25 has more than four losses outside the top 50. Kentucky's got yeah. six. What's going to happen here, Kentucky GP? Kentucky has five, I'm looking at. Oh, yeah, it changed because somebody creeped into the top 50 while I went to bed last night. Which, you it's know, still five. They still, got more, know, than, know, they still just, got more than anybody else. That's my point. It goes to that whole arbitrary, like the cutoff line is 50 and yada, yada. But, sure, um, yeah. What's going to happen here? That's the is, cutoff line, Norlander. Don't try to move it. Okay. So the SEC is going to have a situation where it's not going to have any teams with any good seeds. You know, it's going to be – so I think it's highly likely that the best-case scenario for the SEC, if things break the right way, it'll have two teams reach the Sweet 16. But even that might be asking too much, and obviously the one team we would think that would break through would be Kentucky. But then again, it's very tough to win at the O-Dome, and now Florida is in big-time need of winning. If it doesn't win that, I, I would argue that Florida would need to uh, – win the SEC tournament to get a bid, in my opinion. Best case scenario for the SEC is probably Texas A&M winning out, I would say, as far as getting uh, yeah, a highly seeded the team. Highest, highest possible seed, you're absolutely right, yes. Yeah, because they have Auburn and Vanderbilt left. You'll get maybe one or two more quality wins there. Uh, in the SEC tournament, that is. They're already at 22 in the RPI, and they have five top 50 wins, five top 100 wins additionally, and only four losses outside of the top 50, which still isn't great. But yeah, I'd say that's probably their best bet, right? Maybe they get a three if they want out. I will say yeah, this. Maybe, uh, maybe. Of all the smart-ass comments I get on Twitter, one guy, like, it was it was also a smart-ass comment, but at least it made me think. Um, he goes, everybody keeps talking about how Kentucky's turned it around and Kentucky can beat anybody. Why, why do people think that? Why, why? And he said, because they've beaten some bad teams at home. Like, why do people think that Kentucky has turned it on and is somehow like one of the elite teams in the country now? I understand the talent. Ulysses and Murray are terrific. But like he, he, was, I, he was trying to be uh, smart alecky, but like I think it's a reasonable question. Sam, I'll ask you, why, why are, are we sure that Kentucky really is this different team? Or is it just that, you know, they beat some, you know, crap team? Not, you know. It, it, since the calendar I mean, turn, they, they blew out South, South Carolina. I mean, beat, yeah, South they beat. Carolina. But like, how good is South Carolina? I mean, all due respect, they turned it around. They're going to the no, tournament. No, awesome. But like, how good are they? Yeah, no, I agree. I, overall, I agree. I don't know that they've turned it around. I mean, the front court is still a mess in a lot of ways. Like everyone looks at Derek Willis as this guy who's like turned around Kentucky's fortunes, and I'm just like, not really. I mean, you look at what they're do, what they're getting in the front court. I mean, I know that they won those four games in a row where three of them were at home, but you know they're still not getting enough from those big guys. I mean, Marcus Lee has been okay. You know, Poitras has been injury uh, plagued, I guess, over the course of the last month. He's back now, but they're still not getting anything out of Scal. Isaac Humphreys is still a freshman that's you know 17, 18 years old, and, and it's. It's just tough for me to trust a team that can't count on their front court uh, as much as this one can. Now, the optics behind what Jamal Murray and Tyler Eulis are doing, both of whom very well might be All-Americans at this point, 
um, well, he's enough. incredible yeah. and it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah, different levels. Yeah, I would agree. Well, with I, I would say this. I had to turn in a Naismith ballot the other day, Friday, I guess it was. Top 10. Mm-hmm. I had Euless and Murray both on it. I think they're both great. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. I like, think that that's probably the right choice. Yeah, I had them both on. But, like, how about this? Since January 1st, since the calendar turned to 2016, best team Kentucky's beaten? Probably South Carolina. South Carolina on the road. Or right. Van- yeah, or or Florida or Vanderbilt. I mean, like, there, yeah. ain't, there ain't a whole I lot know, there. I know, but again, we've talked about this, you know, they did it two years ago. No, you're right. And then it can happen. Uh, before we uh, close out here, just a real quick thing on Wisconsin, which got a home win over Michigan on Sunday night. I mean, it's got six top 50 wins, a top 10 strength of schedule for the ever shaky RPI. But that's what they're going to use. Um, it's. It, I mean, it came in to the day. Um, Jerry Palm had him as a nine. The home win over Michigan might or might not bump him up to an eight, but they're going to be in the tournament. I'm pretty certain it's saying this. They're not a lock because if they lost out, they wouldn't get in. But there's no reason to think that they aren't getting in. And it's simply ridiculous that this is – I mean, they were a 9-9 team, and they have completely turned it around. They're going to go to their 18th straight NCAA tournament, it looks like. And Greg Gard's almost definitely going to get that job. So I just wanted to mention that oh. because they just finished up the game as we were recording the podcast. Probably should have gotten rid of Bo Ryan two years ago, won back-to-back national titles. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, what were they waiting on? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, seriously, exactly. what were they waiting on? Yeah. Like the biggest uh, – uh, the, the thing nobody's talking about in this whole thing. <laughs> like if Barry Alvarez would have pulled the trigger on this three years ago. you just ago, found your Tuesday column, Parrish. I my dare Tuesday, you to write My that. Tuesday column will be on what if – how many how many national championships would Frank Kaminsky have won if if Bill Ryan would have retired three years ago? I'm so disappointed it's not an oral <laughs> history of Adam Woodbury's eye poking. Man, I was I was watching Woodbury every second of that game today. I was like, come on, buddy, give me one. Poke, <laughs> poke somebody's pupil. Get somebody in the pupil. He wouldn't do it. He didn't do it. I think he's I don't know. I I, I watched 40 minutes of Grayson Allen, no tripping, boring. Watch 40 minutes of Woodbury, no eye poking, boring. Spent my whole Sunday just waiting for something neat to happen. My two guys didn't come through for me. There's still plenty of, plenty of weeks <laughs> left, though. Shout Don't out give to, up hope. Shout out to Calvin Nat. Can I give you some Calvin Nat stats please, while we're at it? Please, please. Calvin Nat scored over 20 <laughs> points a game and averaged 11 rebounds per game throughout the course of his entire career at Louisiana Monroe. How about that? Sounds like we do a- not have assist stats because he went from 75 to 79, though. Correct. And as we just discussed, the NCAA did not track assist stats until the 1983-84 season. See? Yes. See? Probably a disservice to the great Calvin Nett. It, it was. I feel <laughs> confident of that. Uh, hey, um, we're going to do another podcast on Wednesday. Do you guys want to do it or not? On Wednesday? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, you, you don't want to? I know you no. told me once before you don't want to. I- <laughs> But I figured, I, would, I figured I would ask again publicly. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying no on the record for a Wednesday podcast. I mean, I'm there for you on Friday, uh, without a doubt. But, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, you, I know you'd love to talk to me again, uh, but you're trying to put me on the spot. I mean, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Uh, we have reached the point, uh, full disclosure here, where uh, it has been suggested that maybe, yes. maybe we should be doing a Monday, Wednesday, Friday podcast now. And uh, I don't feel like I'm in any position to say no, <laughs> so I said yes. But uh, but I don't want to uh, overcommit you guys. Although I do enjoy talking to you. I mean, you could you could reach out to Calvin Nat. I'd love to get Calvin Nat on the. I, yeah, is Calvin Nat. Like so my dream. Calvin Nat alive. I hope he's alive. I hope alive. so. My dream podcast would be me, 
Calvin Nat, Devin Downey. I know it. I would just shout him out the whole time. <laughs> Calvin Nat yeah. is alive. Thank God. And apparently is an ordained minister and owns a funeral home in Denver for Wikipedia. How about that? Shout out to Calvin Nat's funeral home. If I die anytime soon, have me buried at Calvin Nat's. I, I want my service to be at Calvin Nat's so funeral dark. home. Can we do that? Oh, How weird would it be to have my service in Denver? God. <laughs> simply, simply, simply to be in the presence of the great Calvin Nat. That's the only way. That's the only way I'll rest in peace. I think it's the only way I'll rest in peace. Oh my God. Right, we'll figure out the Wednesday thing. What are we even talking about? I, do, we, again, do we want, yeah. do we want Oscars predictions while we're here? Okay. This is, we are recording this pre Oscars and we're, yeah. and we're recording it pre Oscars so that we can watch the Oscars. <laughs> this is a fact. Okay. I've seen seven of the eight best pictures. I've nominees. seen three. The only one I didn't see is Brooklyn. And in my opinion, the winner should be room. I, I, yeah, I have not seen Room. But... It should be Room or Spotlight. Either one. It should not be the Red. Spotlight was incredible. Spotlight was incredible. Um, the Big Short was pretty good. I liked it. Uh, I, I did like Spotlight more, and I saw Mad Max Fury Road, which was definitely uh, intense and fun, but obviously has no ch- chance. I would go Spotlight, Big Short, Mad Max of the ones that I saw. I have no idea what Room is about, and, right, and it's get... not—it's one of those movies where you don't—you can't. Sam, have you seen Room? I have. Okay, it's one of those—you can't really tell somebody what it's about because it kind of ruins. Okay, yeah, don't. What I'll, it's about. I'll, right. yeah. I'll try and find yeah, out. Yeah, you don't want to say what it's about because if I tell you what it's about, it'll mess up the first. But that was surprising minutes. that you went Room. I would. I think Room's it's, really good. It's really I, good. It's really good. I think it should be Room, Room or Spotlight. Either one. It should definitely not. I liked every one of them. Of the seven that I saw, there was not not one that I thought was a dud. I liked The Martian. I liked The Revenant. I liked The Big Short. I liked Bridge of Spies. Like I enjoyed all of them. Uh, but to me, Spotlight and Room were a level above the others. And and The Revenant, I wouldn't even put in the top half. I know it's the favorite to win. I wouldn't even put it in the top four of the eight. Yeah, The Revenant's tough because, like, by sheer, like, filmmaking craft, it's probably the best. But the story is just not good. Like, like the story is just not nearly two and a half hours worth of story. And it's boring and it's, uh, you know, like, there's no flow. It's not, it's not a good story at yeah. all. And, I mean, if you're making a movie, you're making a best picture, uh, I think the story is important. So I would not pick The Revenant. I would pick Spotlight as well. I've only seen five, though. I've not seen The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, or Brooklyn. Big Short is uh, I like cool. it. They break the fourth wall, and I like the way they do that. I love that. the way they do that. It's so um, good. That was pretty cool. Uh, I'm liking Carell more and more, just as like an actor. I think uh, Carell is my favorite. He's not like – he wasn't like how – like when you watched um, – uh, What's the wrestling movie? I'm just blanking on the name. Boxcatcher. Boxcatcher. Like when you watched it and you were kind of like, oh my gosh, this is Carell, like going for an Oscar. This is moment. He wasn't like that. He, uh, but I, I really liked what he brought to that movie. Um, and actually, I think it was my favorite Ryan Gosling movie ever. He's he's also in Big Short, and I liked what uh, he was great. I love the way they broke the fourth wall. It was like creative and funny. And I'd never seen a movie do. I'm sure it's happened the way they did it, yeah. but I just can't remember a movie ever doing it. And it was kind of necessary to the plot in my opinion. <laughs> no, it was perfect because it was like, 
Um, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but right. it's a complex, you know, the, the, the subject matter is complex, right? And so um, they would say, all right, um, here's Selena Gomez to, like, I, was it Selena Gomez? Yeah, like, it was. Yeah. yeah, here's Selena Gomez to explain to you what this means. And then yeah. it would just be Selena Gomez explaining <laughs> to you what it means. Or it was like, here's, um, oh, who's the, uh, Margot Robbie? Yeah, here's Margot. So it would be just like beautiful women <laughs> explaining to you uh, what it was. Except they, they had a man do it one time, right? Yeah, and they had like a yeah, they did. It's but it's but they like break the movie basically to say here's a here's a beautiful woman or somebody else famous um, to just sort of explain to you what it is you're watching. So it was like it was an interesting uh, device, and I thought it it worked well. I laughed each time. I thought it was good. I liked I liked all the movies. I just think uh, yeah, room. And I think I think uh, you know. I think Leo is like the biggest favorite like ever to win the. Which is crazy. They didn't even talk for half the movie. Yeah, I haven't seen. I'm in Brie no Larson's rush to see that. Also, a massive favorite. Who? She was good. Brie, Brie Larson, Larson, the woman in Room. Hey, the, oh, little, okay. yeah. the little boy in Room, I thought was really good too. I'd agree with that. Yeah, like he's like the like seven years Jacob old. Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, I thought it was great. Like I was surprised after watching that film, I was surprised he wasn't nominated for supporting actor. All right. But my guy from Big Show. Uh, look, Stallone's got to win supporting actor. But you know who else was really good? So, uh, Christian Bell. Mm-hmm. He was he was good, but what's surprising is he got nominated and Carell didn't, and yet Carell was in the movie more. I felt it was kind of like almost equal screen time. He was good, but like it was to me, it was like the sixth best Christian Bale movie. You know, it was you well, know, like he's really good, so like whatever. But like um, yeah. I, I thought he was good in that role. I thought he, yeah, no, I, I he thought was, it, he was he learned yeah. how he learned how to play the drums for it because it, <laughs> yeah, who's it's based on like like the guy who was based on that movie was like so intense that he actually listened to like death metal to calm himself down. No, 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 no. no. So anybody, uh, so when the Revenant wins tonight, that'll be a, uh, that'll be a mistake. And if you haven't seen room yet, you should go see room. Any of the best picture nominees of the ones I saw, saw seven of the eight, they're all, every one of them was worth seeing, but room and spotlight are the two that you, I think you have to see. They're both two. And Mad Max. You should definitely see yeah, Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. That's, it's different, but you should definitely see It's not for see everyone, though. Yeah. Like, Spotlight's like, you have to watch Spotlight. I guess Mad I would Max say this. Here's definitely what I, not for everyone. Here's what I would say. With Spotlight and Room, this is the one thing they have in common. Like, it messes with your emotions as you're watching the film. Both of them. Yeah. Like, both That's of them true. made, like, you know, like, most movies, you just watch the movie, and you laugh a little bit, and you think a little bit, and but it doesn't really affect your mood. Like, it's just a movie. Spotlight affects, affected my mood. And room affected my mood. There were times in both films where I was like, like, uh, like you know, like it just mm-hmm. it, they they affect your mood. And I think that that's great filmmaking when you can find a film that'll do that. Am, am, I, am I overstating it, Sam? No, I think that's right. They yeah. both really affected my mood. I would also say Mad Max just gives you a massive adrenaline rush right. <laughs> upon watching it. And that, that's kind of an emotion. That's I mean, that's the goal of that movie. For sure. Um, I'm trying to think. What, what other Oscar hot takes I have? I don't know if I can abide by Stallone winning Best Supporting Actor. Well, I just can't, um, in good conscience, pick against Rocco. I mean, that's my guy. Did you <laughs> say Rocco? Yeah, Rocco. I feel don't like... You mean, don't I you mean Rocky? Well, yeah, yeah, but Paulie calls him Rocco. Yeah. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah. What do you mean, does he? Norlander? <laughs> Spoiler alert, I've seen Rocky 1 and 2, and it has been at least 15 years since I saw you. Wait, you haven't seen Rocky 4? Never seen Rocky. What? Leave America. Yeah, why are you even American? Who <laughs> let you in this country? <laughs> Listen, 
it's just you know we all have those movies like you just haven't seen everyone's had everyone's got a couple of movies that are like classics no i thought about this like i uh when i went to see rocky balboa like i actually i cried in the movie like there's a there's a scene where i like i found myself i was tearing up i was all alone in the movie theater and i'm tearing up and i was like why am i crying at rocky balboa that's just an amazing vision you're sitting alone in the movie theater crying yeah sitting alone in the movie theater crying about rocky balboa swear to god and so i i started going like okay what like what happened to me right there like like the rest of the day i was like all right what happened why am i crying at rocky balboa and you know what i you know what i came up with i know more about rocky first off you know when rocky was made 77 late 70s like the year i was born right I've known Rocky my whole life. Think about that. And I bet you I know more about Rocky than I know about most of my friends. I know Rocky's wife. I know his kids. I know where he grew up. I know what his house looks like. You know that he's like. a fictional character? But, like, that's my point. But I feel like I like Rocky's my guy. Like, I feel like I know Rocky Balboa. I, 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 like, I'm being dead serious. I know more about Rocky Balboa than I know about my neighbors. And, and like, I'm not even talking about like neighbors I don't talk to. I'm talking about like neighbors I go to their house. They come to my house. I, I know more about Rocky Balboa than I know about most people I'm related to. I mean, I don't know what to do with this information. Like, <laughs> is that crazy? I feel like Rocky. The second straight podcast where it's gotten completely ridiculous. I feel like I, I feel like I feel like Rocky Balboa is like one of my friends. <laughs> I feel like I should be friends with Rocky Balboa. I want to be friends with Rocky Balboa. That's what I want to do. You're approaching 40 and still have imaginary friends. Let me tell you where I am. Okay, so I'm approaching 40, and I basically got two goals for the rest of my life. I've had a good life. I I have two goals. I want to be friends with Rocky Balboa, and when I die, I want to be buried. I want Calvin Nat to handle the service. That's it. (laughs) Is that too much to ask out of this world? No. I don't think so. Let's go. (laughs) I'll talk to you on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, remember you can subscribe to the podcast if you want to if you don't i completely understand but like (laughs) but if you want to it's there bye